On June 28, 2005, four Navy SEAL commandos were on a mission in Afghanistan, and they were searching for a notorious al-Qaeda terrorist leader, and he had been hiding in one of the Taliban strongholds. And as the battle ensued, three of the SEALs were killed. The fourth, Marcus Luttrell, was blasted unconscious by a rocket grenade, and he was actually blown over a cliff. Severely injured, he spent the next four days fighting off six al-Qaeda assassins who were sent to put him to death. He crawled for seven miles through the mountains before he was taken in by a Pashtun tribe who risked everything to protect him from the encircling Taliban killers. They took Latrell back to their village where the law of hospitality, considered strictly non-negotiable, took hold. In his book, Lone Survivor, Navy SEAL Marcus Latrell says this, quote, They were committed to defend me against the Taliban until there was no one left alive. So important, so um, strong is this law of hospitality that they uphold to. You know, when I think of hospitality, I haven't had one of those occasions where I've brought someone in. Anybody had that kind of experience? We, we just don't think of hospitality in those terms. And what I'd love for us to do is to consider this morning this idea that love costs everything. In that culture, that kind of hospitality could mean your life. We heard that story uh, from Stephen Curry, who his uncle, who had accepted Christ, had a guy knocking at his door, and the door, he opened it up, knowing that when he let him into his house, as he went out to stand before the people after him, he could lose his life, and he did. I'm going to ask you to think about this for a second. And as we go through this teaching this morning, I I want you to think of hospitality, and I want to broaden our understanding of this. And I I don't want this, because as I was going through this message and praying about it and thinking about it, you you could feel guilt, you could feel all kinds of what I call negative emotions, and I really don't want you to have these negative emotions attached to this. I want you to look at the opportunity that is in your life to grow in this area. What does it mean? You know, when, when you think about hospitality, you usually think about entertaining family and friends, or some of you think of Martha Stewart, right? Or it's a laborious chore, or it's a gift that a few people maybe have and that you are not one of them. Or it's something you wish you could have if you had more time. It's something nice to do, but maybe has limited impact. So what I want you to consider this morning is, again, the opportunity to possibly listen to God and say, as I read your word, God, and you begin to define for me what hospitality is all about, what it's about for us as a body, a group of people, to what degree is your understanding of hospitality shaped by our culture? Or maybe by your own family background from what you grew up with and what you understood. Do you think when you think of hospitality as kind of one of those gifts that are for a few people and they're really good at it, but that's not me? In fact, have you ever thought that hospitality could have a profound, deeply transforming influence on breaking down barriers, not just among us, but in society as a whole? 
As you think about that, let's pray. Father, these are um, important questions. Things for us to consider, to understand what it means to be like you. A God who is incredibly hospitable. Who when we walk into this place, you say that you have walked into my sanctuary. And there is a sense, God, as we're sitting here right now, the law of hospitality takes effect for every person. And you are committed to every person because they, as they've entered into your home and they bring themselves before you and they open their hearts, you open your life to them. Thank you, God, for being here. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I really hope to expand your view of hospitality. I haven't done a lot of teaching on this, nor have I done a lot of study, but I did do a lot of study in, in seeking to understand what hospitality is all about. And I was really amazed, I was struck by the fact that it is integral, this whole idea of hospitality to the life of a believer, one who says they follow after Jesus Christ. In a sense, life in the kingdom is filled with hospitality. Jesus ushers in the kingdom, if you think about it, at a wedding in Cana where he was hospitable and changing water to wine. He doesn't just preach to people, but he actually feeds 5,000. He tells stories about crossing racial barriers when a Samaritan comes upon a beaten up Jew who this Samaritan takes him to a place and then pays for his stay at a, at a, a kind of a, a lodging and also for his care for meals and also his healing. And then think about this, that when the kingdom, not only did it begin at this wedding of Cana, it actually ends. The whole kingdom is brought to fulfillment someday when we are told in Revelation, you go to heaven and there's this huge banquet for every person. Because hospitality is this comprehensive, all-encompassing, it's really an exhilarating and yet challenging truth about our God and about who Jesus was. And my hope is as we look at this, we'll look at some crucial elements and then we can kind of just understand what it means to mature, to grow in the, the likeness of Jesus. And so, again, I just challenge you to think about the opportunities where God, by his Holy Spirit, might be just nudging you in a little bit, in a little way. And I'm going to ask you to pay attention. This concept of hospitality is found throughout Scripture, but there's specifically two places that I want you to, to understand. In Romans, where Paul says at one point in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, love must be sincere, he says. And then he goes down to verse um, 13 and says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Peter, another apostle, makes a similar statement at a certain point. He says, above all, in First Peter, chapter 4, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another and then he adds, because in this culture, in this day, hospitality was so central and important. He said, and do it without grumbling. You ever done that? No, I can't believe it. There are all kinds of hurdles to being hospitable people in our culture. Busyness and exhaustion, fear of vulnerability, rejection, surface level conversation that you would rather not have. And I think a lack of understanding of what the word of God has to say about hospitality. So I'm going to share with you some key concepts, okay, about hospitality. And in a sense, this may be a little more of a kind of a teaching, but I hope at points when you know me, I will probably end up preaching at points. But 
The key concept, number one, that I want to share with you is hospitality is not merely a special gift for a few people. It is. Some people have it in, in greater measure than others. But hospitality is one of the marks of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It is one of the characteristics of every person who follows Jesus. Now, some may have it in a spiritual gift fashion, which it just comes naturally, and that's what you do. But every person who is a follower of Jesus, if you're becoming more like Jesus, become more hospitable. The importance of hospitality, if you look throughout the Old Testament, it just can't be overstated. Abraham was a model of hospitality. He often graciously received travelers into his home for food and lodging and protection. You look at Genesis 18 and Genesis 19. And in doing so, he was surprised at one point because he invited into his home unaware three angels who were, in his mind, three strangers. He found out later he was actually hosting these angels. Job, in a sense, at one point pleads by stating he was given to hospitality. It evidences the fact that he was righteous when he's speaking before his accusers. And in Job chapter 31, verse 32, he says, this is the evidence. The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my door to the traveler. Throughout the Old Testament, there's these biblical admonitions that exhort the Israelites to be hospitable people. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 11, listen to this sense of hospitality. He says, when you reap harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien, the stranger, the foreigner, the one who's come in and who maybe has a hard time getting the kind of work that he needs. I am the Lord your God, he says. And then just a few verses down in verse 33 of chapter 19, he says, when an alien or a foreigner lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. How do you approach that person, he says. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Be open and gracious, inviting. I was... um. With my wife, we were visiting my daughter, who's here, in fact. She's down in Henderson, Nevada, and she's in a PA school there. But we were visiting her, and we took a little time to do one of those CSI TV things. You know, we went to, to go on this thing, and you go through it, and you get to solve the crime. And so the three of us were all excited. We're, we're going to go through this thing, and we're going to be big crime solvers because we watch mysteries and things like that. Anybody with me do that kind of thing? Okay, good, good. So we're all excited. We get these little things and these little charts, and you're going to do the whole thing. And then they... As we're ready to go, they put a guy with us, probably 25, 26, and his name was Rodney, and he was rather slow. And in my heart, I'm going, oh, Lord, I just want this to be the three of us. But they put him with us, and so as we're going along, I was kind of really, I'm one of my strengths is competitiveness, so I'm kind of trying to get this stuff down. <laughs> my daughter's with me. And I look over, and my wife, Rodney, didn't take a pencil. So she gives him his pencil, her pencil. We're going a little bit further, and it's obvious. We didn't know this when we began that Rodney's not really able to solve these things. So my wife comes over and starts helping him. And I just sat there, and as we went through the whole thing, I said, you're going to lose, Grace. No, no, I'm dumb. <laughs> At a certain point, I just felt so convicted of just what does it mean to be hospitable? I got to tell you, it wasn't the way I wanted it. It wasn't really that fun or all the rest. But you know what? 
as God convicted me. And then I said, Grace, let me do this at a certain point and kind of got next to Rodney and we went through the whole thing. And maybe his life was touched in some way. The New Testament, not only the Old Testament talks about this, but the New Testament emphasizes this characteristic as one who is like God. In the ministry of Jesus, you see it all the time. People open their homes to Jesus and they receive incredible blessings. There's a parable that stresses this truth. Jesus begins one of the parables this way. Listen, he says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And the beggar died, and the angels carried him to heaven. And the rich man died, and he was buried in hell, where he was in torment, says Jesus. The rich man asked for pity He called out to Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. Get that imagery? Just a little bit of water on my tongue. Because I'm in agony in the fire. And the response of Father Abraham in heaven, the story goes, Jesus says, in your lifetime, you never, you enjoyed all kinds of good things, but you never comforted and were hospitable to Lazarus who stood outside your door. The New Testament is re- it's just full of these examples. In fact, so important is it that one of the key qualifications of a leader in the church is the evidence of hospitality. Think about that. Isn't that kind of interesting? If you're going to kind of make, here's the key characteristics of all the things that we need as a leader in this church. One of them, it says in the Word of God, 1 Timothy 3, 2, Now the overseer must be above reproach, faithful to their spouse, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable. First uh, Titus chapter one, verses seven and eight, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. And then Paul goes on to describe what blamelessness looks like by a list of don't do this, this, this and this. But the next moment he becomes positive again, he says, be blameless. You know, the next word is rather an overseer must be hospitable. The idea given in a habit of hospitality. And if you go on in Scripture, you'll see Paul at one point when they're trying to decide, the, you know, they're, they're caring for the widows in their midst. He makes this list, he says for them, because there were so many and it was being abused. The list wasn't being cared for properly. At one point, First Timothy, chapter five, verses nine through ten, he says, no widow may be put on a list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for a good deed, such as bringing up children. That's a good deed. Right. And mothers, you can. And then listen to this, given to hospitality. So when you look at these kind of key concepts, one of the first things you find out about hospitality, it's not just for a few. It is the mark of a person who's really mature, becoming like Jesus. Now, look at the second key concept. Hospitality is not just a nice thing to do on occasion. Hospitality has a deeply moral component to it. Catch it. It's just not some kind of entertainment kind of thing. I think so often we think of hospitality as, as you know, okay, I'm going to open my home, have some people in my home, you know, for, for dinner some night, and then that's hospitality. There's a deeply moral idea behind this whole concept of hospitality. In the ancient world, it was actually part of the moral fabric. It was one of the ways you defined a good person versus a bad person. I was reading in the Santa Clara Ethics Journal about hospitality and the ancient world. Marian Shulman and Amal Baruki Winter write, There is not one variety of olives on the table, but three. 
and hummus and eggplant, some pita, pickles and white cheese. And catch this. There are two main courses in case one might not be the guest to the guest's taste. And fresh cucumbers and tomatoes and okra and onions and eggs. Everywhere in the Middle East, the traveler is overwhelmed by hospitality. This is just written in a few years ago. The virtue of hospitality seems inescapable in the landscape of that Middle East. Even as we traverse it in our air-conditioned car with our liters of water at our side, we're stunned by the heat. The distances between the towns reveal their most salient feature, Shiva's well and Getty Spring, all round water. And they write, to refuse a person refreshment in such a place is to let them die. To threaten the open-handedness nomadic peoples must depend on to survive. No wonder, then, the landscape that gave birth to the great monotheistic religions produced in the adherents so great an emphasis on the virtue of hospitality. In the Quran, as in the Hebrew and Christian Bibles, the mistreatment of strangers is a sure way to incur divine wrath. Do you know one of the key reasons God came in anger upon Israel and, and brought in Assyria and, and Babylon to destroy them? Was, and if you read through Isaiah and others, is they were not hospitable people. They were not looking to the needs of the foreigner, to the, to the needs of the needy. That not only is it a matter of survival, it's a, it's a deeply subversive act. It has a way of turning culture upside down. Author Jason Foster, in, 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 a, in a really neat study called Christian Hospitality, A Way of Life, writes this. Christian hospitality is a joyfully subversive answer to the social crises of loneliness, isolation, marginalization, and the devaluing of human life. The radical and subversive claims of Jesus is that hospitality to the vulnerable and desperate stranger is the defining mark of a saved believer. It's an essential characteristic of one who is part of God's kingdom and is loyal to its king. Jesus catches the divine stranger who came to his own and his own did not know him. And those who treat strangers as strangers rather than inviting them in as part of the process of changing them from valued guests are as out of step as those who are mentioned in Matthew 25 when it says there was a glass of water and, I, and, you, didn't, and you gave it to me or... or You know, I came to you and you refused me. This is a very challenging teaching. Not only, he says, did it turn the first century societal norms on the head, but it does the same in our society today. Because there is a subversive act that when we do this, we ourselves actually grow as people. We open ourselves up to others who are not like us. It actually has the ability to make a person whom we might prejudge, be prejudiced towards, begin to open up the opportunity for us to understand them and get to know them, just like Rodney. Every Christian, he writes, has certain blind spots, including us. It is often the case that we don't realize that we're being inhospitable to folks who are different than us. We don't even realize it. It's all very unintentional, but that doesn't mean it isn't real. So as I'm reading and in, in, in researching and thinking about this, I come across this cute little story of, these, of this guy who said he was taking his, his kids to go play laser tag down in um, San Antonio. And they're in this place and they're getting ready. They've been waiting for a bit because they got there early. And just before they're going to go in, they're told, hey, guess what? You're going to have to wait another half hour. 
Some VIPs have come in. They're telling the dad this, and, and they we're going to give them the place for the half hour. So he's got to break the news to the kids. He breaks the news to the kids, and the kids stand there, and they're looking at the glass as they watch these adults running around who are their VIPs. One of them stops, looks at the kids, can see on their faces they're longing to be in there, opens the door, tells them, get ready, why don't you guys come in? And they ended up playing laser tag with about seven San Antonio Spurs basketball stars. Talk about making these kids day. That's a subversive act. Here are these kids who will be changed forever because someone actually had the guts to tell his other star friends, hey, we're going to invite these kids and I guess they had a great time. Christian hospitality in the home and in the church communicates these things. It deeply changes our values. That's why it's so important. It it, it communicates things like you and I are equally dependent on God. You and I both are made in the image of God. You and I have the same dignity. You and I can learn from each other. You and I need each other. You and I can be safe with one another. You and I can be good to each other. You and I can actually enjoy each other. You and I can learn to listen to each other. You and I should be reconciled to one another. And if you and I are Christians, followers of Jesus, we're part of the same family. And if you're not, we're part of a larger family where you can know this God who loves you. His hospitality is a deeply moral expression because it breaks down the walls between people who would rather hang around with those who are familiar with. I do the same. With those that we like, rather than learn to love and understand someone who's different, someone who's not like us. Key concept number three, and again, I don't go to guilt. I want you to just say, what is it God teaching you? Just be open to the fact there's great opportunities ahead of you as the Spirit of God begins to move in your heart and begin to say, here's some areas I can become hospitable. Here's the third concept. Hospitality is not a one-time act. It is a process of receiving outsiders and changing them from strangers to guests. I love that concept. Hospitality is not just this one-time kind of simple little act that you do by bringing some people into your home for a little bit and then say goodbye to them and maybe see them around. It is a process of receiving outsiders and changing them from strangers to guests. In the Old Testament, New Testament, full of examples of hospitality being extended to strangers, seeing strangers become valued guests. In fact, the word itself in the Greek is two words, philo, phileo, and, and xenos. And if you think of the word Philadelphia, it's the city of what? Brotherly love, right. So that kind of friendship, brotherly love, that's what philia, phileo means. And then xenos, anybody knows xenog- uh, xenophobic? Fear of strangers. It's this idea, the, the actual word that is in the Greek means to make friends out of strangers. It means to be able to take an outsider who is somewhat maybe strange, different, foreign, not like me, bringing them in and valuing them such so that they become a friend and at least a guest with you. And so whether it's Abraham in the Old Testament receiving three angels or the Midian priest taking in Moses or Rahab who allowed some spies to stay in her home or Nehemiah who extended hospitality to a random trumpet player. They're all acts where you bring someone from the outside in so they become a treasured, valued guest. 
And the New Testament's no different. The Samaritan woman invites Jesus, the stranger, to stay in her community. Paul, who at that time is still known as Saul, who had previously been not just a stranger, but a vicious enemy to the people of God and the way of Jesus, is taken in, according to Acts 9, by the apostles. And later in that same chapter, Peter stayed with Tanner the Simon during his time in Joppa. And when you think about Nehemiah and Peter and these stories, it's almost strange that you have these references to things that just, why would you even mention it except for to God, it's really important. To the biblical authors, it was really important, this whole idea of what it means to be hospitable people. Listen to this take on a college student from Korea who was over here in America. He was studying at a Christian college. And at the college they were attending, there were a a relatively large community of international students, not just from Korea, but from other um, places throughout the country. And periodically these students would come together and they would compare notes about their experience in America. And virtually all of them had one common regret. They bemoaned the fact that they had spent years in America studying at a Christian college, and yet during that time almost none of them had been invited into an American home to be with them for a dinner. They truly felt like strangers in a strange land, and their perception was that Americans were superficially nice, but mostly unwelcoming. So America's a little more like Minnesota nice. I've asked Sandy Gilbert to come up and just to share how God worked in her life around this whole concept of, um, of hospitality. Because she was sharing with me once when we were talking about the Chinese students that were so gifted to have among us. So why don't you just share your story? Uh, And I wrote down a few notes. Actually, I wrote down a short story. (laughs) Uh, I called it Hospitality Which Leaves a Legacy. My family's customs have always included big holiday dinners and family gatherings with good food, festive decorations, and lots and lots of presents. So many presents you could barely walk through the room. Over the years, I have added to the customs by buying Christmas dishes, fancy platters, and over 54 tablecloths. We have sterling silver. We have uh, crystal goblets. We have beautiful festive centerpieces. And I've even attended classes to learn how to create festive decorations. I bought special ornaments for each child every year and more for us. Every year, we put up lots of lights. We send out over 100 Christmas cards every year, maybe 150. We bought and wore festive clothing to decorate ourselves. We played Christmas carols every day for a month. In fact, I counted, we own 43 Christmas CDs. We were big consumers of the trappings of Christmas. Even with all the trappings, however, our celebration seemed empty. Then I met two women, uh, Debbie Headland and Lois Sonstegard, and they became dear friends of mine, and we were sharing our lives together. And Lois grew up in Japan to missionary parents, and she told us, that her parents always invited strangers and everyone else who was around to family meals. And Debbie's family in Robbinsdale did the same thing, invited lots of people. And so the children enjoyed fascinating conversation and great fellowship. 
And they said they learned so much from the strangers who visited their families. They recalled sitting and listening to conversations about how God was working through their work. And they showed a living faith that transformed those around them. Well, my family had never invited strangers in for meals. We have a large family. I had over 20 cousins, lots of aunts and uncles, and our family filled the house. It was inconceivable to me how we would work in inviting outsiders to family meals. I just wasn't sure that was going to work in our family. I wondered somehow, however, if we hadn't missed the real spirit of our religious celebrations by failing to invite others into our home. And then I got to know the Chinese students who were coming to our church, and I knew they had never um, experienced an Easter or a Christmas or a Thanksgiving celebration. I knew they would be alone at these special times if we didn't reach out and invite them to our family celebrations. So we did. And this was a tremendous hit with our family. We would sit together and talk and laugh and play games, and we heard incredible stories. Joy absolutely fills the house when our Chinese friends are there. So for several years, we have invited Chinese friends to celebrate Christmas Thanksgiving and Easter with our family and our extended family. And we love it. We only wish we could invite every student. As Jesus said, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the beginning of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, from Matthew 25. Our family celebrations have been transformed from just trappings to real fellowship. Our adult children and grandchildren consider our Chinese friends to be family. Jesus' gentle plea to welcome the stranger has blessed our family. Bruce and I would rather be remembered by our grandchildren for following these precious words than for giving great Christmas presents and setting a pretty table. Thanks, Sandy. I love to have um, what I call living illustrations um, because they jog our our minds and our hearts to think about maybe doing things differently or seeing things differently. And uh, as you kind of today, if you want to be a part of um, bringing a Chinese student to your home, there's a place to sign up. There's we've there a bunch of uh, U of M students who would love to maybe come to your home for Thanksgiving. So out there you can find that. So I want to share with you one other really concept of, about this key concept, and that is hospitality. It's not just a temporal kind of a uh, a non-lasting thing, it is a potentially, eternally life-changing expression of love. And why I say this is because you can look at the, the ministry of God through Jesus Christ, through incarnation and through hospitality. 
Incarnation means, and, and everybody does it, when you sit down and you play with a, you know, a kid, anybody sat in chairs too small for them and then drank out of little key tubs, that's incarnation. You're becoming like them, relating to them, and you're moving into the world. Hospitality is inviting someone into your world. So one is entering into their world through incarnation, the other hospitalities. And that's the ministry of Jesus. He came to relate to us and he invited us into his life now and forever. That's the hospitality side of that. So I just want to share just a couple practical challenges besides maybe inviting someone to your home. As a welcoming church, I just want to share with you one of the things to think of it this way. I've been thinking about this, especially to our church community right now. Our church is our corporate home. And every Sunday, we invite people to come in and be a part of, of this time of worship. Can you imagine inviting a couple to your home who's never been there before and not being at the door to greet them and not being there to show them around and not kind of... One of the things I just want to challenge you to think about, because the Spirit of God might be opening up an opportunity for you to show some hospitality, even though it's not a gift or you're bringing someone in. We have a ministry here of greeters and ushers, and the whole purpose of the greeter is to come and just to say to someone, thank you for coming. And ushers to help people kind of find their way around. So I want you to think about it. Is God calling you to maybe be a part of one of these teams with regard to this is our corporate home? And another thing I want you to think about when we think about a welcoming community, I thought about this, so I'll just throw this out real quickly. But, you know, we all sit, how many of you sit in the same section every time? Okay, I would like for some of you to be like section hosts. Okay, does that make sense? You know, like this is your little neighborhood, maybe five, six roles. Would you begin to just say, I could be hospitable because when, when we have this time to go walk around, I might even see someone who might be new and really welcome them. This is just simple ways to become hospitable. Part of the mark of a mature body is people who are hospitable. And then the other, not only being a welcoming community, the last thing I want to share with you is being a compassionate community. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for, that I just, when I came to this church, I just said, it's such a loving church. There are people care when someone is in need, when someone is ill, when someone is in a place where they require someone to come around them. This church is compassionate. And I just thank God for that. It's a great, wonderful thing. But what I want to encourage us also with regard to compassion is to think of hospitality in this way, too. That incarnational sense that we have people, and we've talked about this with John Mayer. We are a host city in the sense that there are people, immigrants coming in all the time. And I don't know how God's going to work this out because I don't have a plan on this at all. I just want to teach this value. There are people coming in and we need to find ways to be incarnational. You can do it at your work, too. Being incarnational means just being present to get to know someone, relate to them, to understand them, to love them. We need to find ways, I think, with those who are coming into their city, rather than seeing them as invaders or seeing them as foreign or seeing them as strange, we need to somehow get connected where we see them as guests and we treat them that way so we can have the opportunity, just like we are doing with the U of M students in China, to bring some of these into our midst so that God can change their hearts and lives. I don't know how he's going to do it. But I believe God loves to put dreams on people's hearts and puts it into their souls, what he wants them to do. Because I believe one of the things God is teaching us with regard to a love that costs everything is that we're probably not going to be taking in like the, you know, protecting someone from the Taliban, but we may actually be protecting someone from a whole life of loneliness, of crisis and other things by the gifts God's given us.